you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Hey there, it's Roger back at you with the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. You know, this episode is all about moving past COVID-19. We've talked so much about not just surviving this thing, but putting our business in the best position to move forward. And maybe, just maybe, it's time to think about expanding our concept and franchising. In this episode, I'm speaking to Mr. Anthony Leone from QSR Franchise Development Group. Now, Anthony is an industry veteran. You know, he's been with some of the most recognized, biggest names in the franchise business, multi-unit concepts, and now he helps others translate their business model into a new franchise model. We're going to talk all about the importance of systems and what you need to do to put your operation in the best position to grow it. We're going to talk about best practices. We're going to talk about the legal ramifications and what you need to do to put yourself in the best legal situation while saving yourself lots of money on attorney's fees. We're also going to talk about pricing your franchise and what royalties should be, as well as you know, purchase agreements, all the ins and outs. There's so much detail here, so don't miss this episode. It's a big one. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. And as you know, these are engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, deliver amazing guest service experiences. And now it's about how you can take a successful concept, if you're thinking about this, and turn it into a franchise. That might be your dream. It might be an exit strategy for you. It might be the next step in your restaurant. So I'm really excited today to introduce Mr. Anthony Leone. And he is the founder of a company called QSR Franchise Development group. Welcome to the show, Anthony. How are you? Roger, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, this is a particularly relevant episode, and I know we're in the midst of the worst crisis ever to hit this industry, but we're all thinking about what's next, what's down the road, and right now it's critical to put systems in place, if they're not already there in our business, to come out on the other side, not just surviving this thing, but to have a real plan for the future and an exit strategy, and that may be the next plan. If you've got systems in place, and we're going to talk about this, you know, franchising is an opportunity to turn a brand into a much larger brand. It could start regionally, it can go national, it can go even international. The sky's the limit, and you are the key to that because you're a true expert. So let me start, Anthony. I mean, you've got a, a long, illustrious career in restaurants and hospitality. Where did it all begin for you? I know you have a degree in hospitality management, but did it start before that? Take us, take us on your journey. Yes, Roger, absolutely. It started before that. You know, I started working, washing dishes, 14, 15 years old, you know, um, just trying to make some money during high school. Um, sometimes life finds you, uh, Roger. And to make um, a long story short, um, I was going to Nassau Community College before I went to Florida International University at a hospitality management degree. And I always knew I wanted hospitality management. At first, I actually thought I wanted to be in the hotel business because who would not like to work in Cabo St. Lucas or Hawaii or any good places like that? Oh, yeah. And I was doing night audit during the nights and um, then going to school during the day. And um, I'll never forget, I was in a union hotel and I did my work about two or three in the morning and um, I was done. And checkouts, it was at the LaGuardia Airport and checkouts were coming at six o'clock in the morning. And um, I went to help the front desk person. I'll never forget the manager pulled me aside and was like, Anthony, come here, I need to speak to you. Uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? You see the line here? I'm helping out the, um, 
you know, at the front desk person. And he's like, listen, we're a union hotel. We cannot do that. You're the night audit guy. And um, I said, well, what would you like me to do? He's like, I don't know, but you can't cross over. And I said, okay, the next night I tried not to help the front desk person. And um, that didn't work out too well for me because I could not not jump in. I get and so, it. And so the next day I quit. Oh and God, I couldn't. Yeah. And so, and then I fell into sort of restaurants and a little bit of management and so on and so forth. And I fell in love with it, Roger. I was never bored. You know, I will always be straight up, but I was never, never, ever bored. And so I felt that sometimes life chooses you. And so um, then I went on my career. I went to Florida International University for a hospitality management degree. Later on, I won the um, Torch Award, which is uh, given to any of uh, it, Florida International University has many colleges like law or, or restaurants, hospitality management, engineering, so on and so forth. So they pick one person every year out of all the years that they've been, you know, open, that made a big contribution in that field. So I won that a couple of years back. Um, after graduating um, uh, hospitality management at FIU, I started a position at, at the time it was called Boston, uh, uh, Boston Market, no, Boston Chicken. Um, I was hired as an assistant manager. Six months later, I became a GM. And then eight months later, I became the youngest district manager in the company. And um, I oversaw anywhere between 12 to 15 stores at 24, 25 years old. And I'm very grateful for that education because I really learned um, the right way. In our initial discussion, Roger, we talk about food cost and cost of goods and the way to break it down into each category so you could troubleshoot it better. Mm -hmm. And I learned that way through their system. And um, now I see a lot of people talking about variants and they don't know how to know the numbers behind the numbers. Um, after Boston Market, um, I did that for about seven years. Um, I got recruited again to work for a company called Ranch One in the city. Um, I ran a full-service restaurant for a year to see how I would do with that. Um, and what I learned there was management was management. Whether you're managing you know, someone older um, or an 18-year-old college kid, you need to lead by example, and your um, tenants need to be black and white, and there's no gray area. And you might handle people differently, but the message is still the same. Um, and then I, you know, I, I've always been into working out and eating healthy. And so I saw a niche in the market. And back in 1997, I opened up a concept called Energy Kitchen, where we steamed, baked, and grilled everything. Nothing was fried. Everything was under 500 calories. And we started out with one store at 24 John Street downtown. Um, uh, you know, these times we're going through a lot of stuff in the world and I could totally relate being an operator and how important it is to pivot and move your business. I was a block away from nine 11. We saved about 10 or 11 people that day. There's wow. two iconic, um, uh, pictures or videos of the, 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 the towers crashing and all the building debris coming down. Mm -hmm. Um, that was my block. And so, um, being such a workaholic and being in the restaurant business, uh, September 12th was the worst day for me because I had nowhere to go. I didn't know what to do. And so um, after rebounding and doing different things, like I developed something called Power Plates, where I put about 200 meals into my Mazda MX-6, and I delivered to Staten Island, Long Island, the boroughs, and delivered to gyms and bought them a little freezer and a little POP behind it. And to just keep cash flow going till we found the next location. Wow. And then I started to build up Energy Kitchen. We started out with one. Smart. 
We built about eight or nine different corporate stores, and then we went to different to have proof of concept, and then we uh, franchised them and uh, got up to about 20, 25, so about 25 stores, uh, corporate stores, franchise stores, and non-traditional sites like um, uh, St. John's University or Fordham University or, you know, those kinds of sites in, in um, you know, food courts and colleges. Um, and then I got out um, of uh, the concept and I became a COO of a company uh, overseeing four different concepts, legacy brands, um, over 16 different states and tried to turn around those brands. And then d- during that time, I was getting calls from friends and people that in the business saying, Anthony, listen, I'd like for you to help me, you know, with this or with that. Um, and so I decided then to start a consulting firm. And I've been doing that really ever since, helping different um, concepts. And everyone has different issues. And so no matter what their problem is or their issue is, I will hone in on that and try to come up with solutions and then expand from that to scale the brand. That is an incredible story. Everything from, you know, 9-11 to, well, going back really to helping out the front desk when you were the night auditor. And what really rings clear to me is you have a true passion. You have a strong work ethic. You understand the true meaning of the word hospitality and what service is all about. And that was the overriding driving influence in your life that led you through this career. And just being so immersed in, in so many aspects of the industry and all the incredible people that you met, must have met along the way. And now the incredible knowledge base that you've sort of a, accumulated to now help others to move their business forward. So that's an incredible story. It, it took fortitude. It took initiative. And I think the under underlying burning fire in your belly was that, that passion uh, for the business and for hospitality and for service and for, you know, this incredible industry and now, you know, during the worst of it, no one could have ever anticipated what, what would, you know, <laughs> turn out to be this horrible crisis affecting our industry. But now it's all about how can we help each other to get out the other side? And again, not just survive this thing, but really succeed. So I think that's amazing. Okay, so let's, let's move on. Um, you, you specialize, I mean, you now have a company and it's called QSR Franchise Development Group, and that's exactly what you do, but you've got several different branches of that company and, and you, you definitely specialize in different areas to help companies through different aspects of all of those things. So could you give us an overview of that and what you really do and you know, some of the things that you, your firm specializes in? Sure, absolutely. Well, we really honed in on QSRs, quick service restaurants, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that you can't specialize in everything, okay? If you're, you know, everything to everyone, then you're nothing really to no one, okay? And so we really wanted to hold in the quick service restaurant. It's what we've been doing now for many years. Like, I've been doing it over 30 years, and I have a team of people that have been in it as well in different aspects of it. Um, And so what we do is, you know, people will come up to us from anywhere from, hey, Roger, I have an idea for a concept. I don't know what to do with it. I make these great brand muffins or whatever it is. I would need your help. So then we would get them involved with, you know, um, name the name the concept, put a vision in your head, try to get it extremely clear in your head. Because the clearer you see the vision of the concept coming in, the, the, the more apt it is to come through fruition. And you have a direct path Agreed. into what you want to do with the concept. You know, this is no, this is yes, as far as the tenants of the brand goes. So we've had people come up to us with, say, hey, I just have an idea, I don't know where to go. And we'll get them into logo. Um, you know, branding, uh, tagline, uh, 
menu development, aesthetics of the restaurant, design, so on and so forth. We handle everything from um, franchise sales to real estate development to finding people real estate to helping out with operations and training, marketing systems, you know, really anything, um, you know, that the, uh, the quick service restaurant um, would need to do to A, come up with a concept that that's where they're at. Well, really what we specialize in is, is emerging brands where they have a few stores, okay, but need to scale it to become a franchise or become a brand. Um, and uh, we take you all the way through, all right, through the whole concept. And we've even had calls to say, Anthony, listen, we need to turn this concept around to sell it. And so we'll help them turn it around, put systems into place, and get it re- and then sell the store and get ready for sale and then sell it ourselves. And then everything in between, between manual writing, Roger, and everything in between, so to speak. That's unbelievable. So people bring you ideas or they have established concepts right now. And obviously you work every step of the way. Are there specific concepts or menus that translate better to a franchise model? Or could you literally take any concept and through the expertise of yourself and the others in your firm, turn it into something no matter what it is? Yeah, both. You know, some concepts you looked at and they're just streamlined enough. Okay. They're using one ingredient in multiple different facets. Okay. Of their menu. Um, They're smart, you know, and we could just take that concept, tweak it a bit, put systems into place, and then try to scale it, okay? Just sort of um, touch it up a bit, okay, and get it ready. Put a sales deck out, you know, press release, those kind of things to right. get it out there. And then we've had big concepts, you know, uh, we have a full-service concept now with a tremendous menu that um, had to pivot and did an amazing job um, going to curbside and, you know, delivery and so on and so forth. And now they're looking to scale back the model, all right, to be more of a sort of QSR, small space looking for in the future as real estate deals pop up, you know, and we get out of a COVID-19. Is there any limit to the market areas that you serve? I mean, is this a national thing? Are you international at this point? No, I would say we're, you know, we brought international concepts over, okay, to launch them here. Um, But right now we're really focused in within the States. You know, we can bring concepts here. We can take concepts out. It's a little bit more difficult, you know, through the the FTD and the franchise disclosure, getting them, um, you know, franchise ready in in other countries. But really our focus is nationwide here in the States. So when you have an initial meeting or several meetings with a potential client, and we're talking about all these systems, do you do some sort of a deep dive analysis into their business to see what exists now, what needs to be, and then you help them systemize, you know, all the aspects before we even go down the road of writing manuals and getting into the legalities. It's literally, okay, you've got something here, I see it, but you're not taking inventory, you don't know what your costs are, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, Your marketing needs to go to the next level. The whole program needs to be a package before you can even begin to interest anybody else, right? Absolutely. As I talk to the, you know, potential client or client, I want to know what their pain points are, all right? Because, you know, listen, this business is not rocket science, okay? You know, I'm in it, Roger. That's how you know that, okay? <laughs> Self-deprecating. Way to go, Anthony. Yes. Keep going. You know, but, you know, but all kidding aside, you I know. I get it. You're a humble guy. Yes, and, but, um, but, you know, there's, 
there's a system or I've seen something mm. or um, I could always call up somebody out there that knows and specializes in that particular area. So yes, I'll do a deep dive. I'll talk about what's your biggest pain point, all right? Um, if I could help you in one thing right now, what would that be? But then I will get into, all right, let's talk about operations. Let's talk about onboarding. How do you bring person in? How do you set them up? How do you set them up for success? Let's talk about training. Let's talk about human resources. Let's talk about marketing. Let's talk about real estate. Let's talk about all these different aspects, building a bench, okay? You know, as far as we grow to build from within. And I'll touch on sort of finance. Show me your P&Ls. You know, show me where your food cost of goods is. You know, as I look for different concepts to have food, paper, and labor at 55, 60%, that's what I'm trying to get to, you know, to build a good franchise model. Okay, that begs the question of all the different aspects, and there's so many facets to what we're talking about here. How much of it could be cookie cutter, turnkey, templated versus I got to create this from scratch because this model is different from the model you just helped succeed? You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's got to be templates for some of this stuff. Otherwise, I guess the time would take forever and the cost would be astronomical to reinvent every step of the way, right? Absolutely. Listen, we, we have a lot of templates out there. You know, your program's amazing, Roger. Uh, the Academy is phenomenal. Um, and I highly recommend it to everyone. Um, but uh, um, yeah, there's a lot of templates out there. You know, you don't reinvent the wheel. You know, a lot of the operators out there, they don't know what they don't know. They had a great idea or they made a great something. They got into business and now it's like sort of consuming them and they see they have a potential to really scale it and they don't want it to um, sort of uh, not reach its potential. And so they, they know they need to get somebody in there to show them the way. Um, but they just don't know how to do, let's say, for your point, inventories, break it down into cost of goods, troubleshoot, you know, do hot inventories or take it from there and things like that. So teaching them and showing them really simple systems that are duplicatable is key. And a lot of them are out there already. Yes. And it's going to free up their time because I guess my next question is, I've got this idea, I've got this passion to take this to 10, 20, 100 units across the country or even start regionally, whatever. I want to expand my business. I think it's franchisable. And once I have these systems in place, do I need somebody else to spearhead this, to, to take charge of it like an expert? Or can I, as the owner operator, somehow separate myself from my business and empower my people to run it as if they owned it and then I'm the guy because this is the business of a thousand details. There are so many balls in the air at any given time, and it's going to take so much of my time and focus and energy to step aside to move it to the next level. Can an owner operator do that? Do you need a specialized person that has the expertise uh, somewhere in between? Take a GM and promote them into this and say, hey, you've done a great job running these stores, you know, whatever. Now, here's your next challenge. What do you suggest? Uh, listen, absolutely, yes, but I do think you need someone leading the way because in mm. your instance here, the GM yeah. and the owner don't know the steps to get mm. to where they need to get to or right. what they need to have in place. Um, there's an incredible book out there called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, okay? And in The E-Myth, um, it talks about a lady that had a great business 
um, making cupcakes or something like that. And he gives examples. And then she opens up the business and starts to hate it because she's doing payroll. You know, she's uh, got the landlord, you know, all these other things. And it gets her off what her passion was, was on making the product, you know. So, um, yes, uh, I would I would highly recommend bringing in someone like myself because your learning curve is going to be accelerated because I've been through it before. I know exactly, or our company, QSR Franchise Development Group, knows exactly what needs to be in place for you to grow and scale the brand. Let me give you another example. When we have potential franchisees, okay, uh, coming in, um, you as the owner should not be answering the phone, vetting them, those kind of things, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you're right. the owner, right. Roger, yep. okay, yep. you need someone like myself to make sure that this potential franchisees qualify, they have the money. They have the operation experience because, you know, your name is on that door, okay, even though someone else opens it. Absolutely. So you need need to know, um, you know, that they have the operation, they have the experience, they're not going to run out of money. You know, they have the bandwidth to do this, okay? But as potential franchisees come in, okay, I want them to jump through some hoops with me first, qualify them, have an interview with me, have an interview, let's say, with somebody else. Before they get to you, I call the owner the grand poobah, okay, because this franchisee needs to jump through a couple of hoops, and I'll be like, Roger's very busy, okay, he's only got, you know, this time slot, and so, like, it's an honor to meet you, but this person has shown that, um, this potential franchisee has shown the initiative and the drive to be part of that company. That's a really, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, Roger, if not... um, the owner will be wasting a lot of time with a lot of, tire, with a lot of tire kickers. So that is an interesting point because there are clearly qualified people out there and there are clearly a lot of wannabe hopefuls, you know, people that have this idea like, wow, how glamorous is the restaurant business? And I see how successful all these, you know, and I want to do that. And I'm tired of working for, you know, my, my 50 hour week job. And I'm going to cash in my 401k and I'm going to start a franchise. And you can see in the pages of like Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur, there's like, you know, dozens of pages of potential franchise opportunities out there. And people get excited by this, but they have no operating experience in this business and you have to vet them. And somehow some people you got to take a chance on because they may look good on paper uh, or they may not, but, but you see that burning drive and you see them jumping through the hoops and you see that they might have the potential and you got to make a critical decision here, right? Because again, your name is on the door and you've got to build a track record of success with the first franchise, the second franchisee, the third and on and on before you can continue to build that model. Because if you've got a failure, number one or number two, and people are, you know, people are doing their due diligence on your company too. And you can't say, oh yeah, everyone who's coming to this fold has done very well because everything is so dialed, right? And the critical piece is that potential person. Absolutely. You know, right. the, the first couple are so critical, Roger, yeah. because if you get and you're and you are um, successful, then these franchisees that just opened, they're your biggest mouthpiece. They're your biggest sort of marketing. But right. if you get out of the gate and you don't start right, OK, then you're, you're, you're behind the eight ball. And it's a different skill set, Roger, from becoming an owner, like a mom and pop owner, one unit, two units. It's a totally different skill set to managing people. Um, and, um, 
You know, you now in the franchise business, you're not in the burger business or restaurant business anymore. It's a different skill set. So you need that general manager, which you've trained up to run that store. Okay. Have hold them accountable, inventory, labor, food cost, all that kind of stuff. All right. And, but then grow the brand and keep your eye on growing the brand while your managers are in, 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 in space in, in places. So I call it sort of aces in places. For sure. And that is critical to leadership. And you mentioned earlier the importance of leading by example. You know, this, this also leads to the franchise agreement, which is the most important document ever. And it's got to be, in, you know, it's got to be like a Chinese phone book because of all the detail that's in there. And somebody coming in needs to be so well-versed in everything that it says because it is a legal contract between the franchisor and the franchisee. And that's where all these potential lawsuits happen. And it's like, you got to make sure that every T is crossed and every I is dotted. Obviously, that's a cliche, but you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a legal document. Is that somewhat templated and somewhat customized? Uh, yes, you know, yeah, uh, you know, first I would say absolutely you need to use a franchise attorney to read through this, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, without a doubt. You know, they specialize in this, and even hiring someone like us, a QSR franchise development group, to look at it because we know what paragraphs we're looking at, what different phrases, we've seen a lot of them, you know, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a, demp- it's a, it's a daunting document, without a doubt. I mean, you are basically marrying this person, you know, for the next 10 years, whatever the contract it is. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that you have like, you know, every clause or every like sort of hypothetical situation that you possibly could think of on that document to protect you. Got to see around corners somehow. And the, you know, the unexpected is around the next corner. You can't possibly anticipate, but you do have the benefit of history and experience and you've seen a lot of stuff here. A lot of stuff goes sideways that you can now, you know, coach mm-hmm. people past by putting these critical things in place. So let's talk about the legalities here because you may bypass a lot of the need for legal work. I mean, yes, you're going to need a franchise attorney to do some work to put things in place. But in terms of, you know, having a, a you know, attorney at 250 bucks an hour start drafting documents, I mean, this is going to be a hugely expensive process, but you could save them all of that time and expense by cutting some of that out and only having the attorney there where, it, where it's absolutely necessary. Am I, you know, is that correct? Uh, yes, you know, yeah, well, listen, someone like myself can scrub through it, give you the high points, but I would yeah. definitely, you know, reach out to a franchise attorney have them read it. You know, yeah. you can negotiate rates with them, you know, either like let's say an all-in to negotiate the document with the franchisor opposed to an hourly basis. I like that better. Every time mm-hmm. I talk to you, Roger, I don't want to, you know, see the hourglass be turned over. And if we start talking about, you know, like my Mets or something like that, you know, yeah. I'm on the clock, you know, yes, I yes, enjoy talking yes. to, you know, a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. so I want one rate and that's what I would recommend, you know, just to negotiate one rate. So if you have questions or you could go in and you don't feel like, you yeah. know, you have to hurry up and re- get off the phone. Great. Absolutely. So yeah, like a, maybe a flat fee for the services Correct. and a not yes. to exceed because you, you make it very clear what your needs are and the attorney says, yes, okay. And they don't try to put you on retainer for months in advance and all that sort of thing. And that's the way to get what you need, not overpay for it if you pick the right person. So you obviously have a network then of franchise attorneys and all the other people that you can then farm that piece out too, I'm sure. 
They're absolutely, they're all specialists, yeah. you know, in their own particular area, and they're only a phone call away. And typically, what I would do is, you know, I would put like, you know, three of, let's say, franchise attorneys in front of them, okay, and let them choose, let them interview, you know, um, each one, and see who they feel best with. Now that that way, you know, they're not, you know, um, they're picking their choice. I vetted out for them over the years. These free, these three franchise attorneys, they can interview them. I could be on the phone. They could vet them out, and they could choose the one that they'd like the best. Now, it's pretty common knowledge. I mean, there's been so many, you know, franchises that have started, and they run into the problem that, you know, the franchisee thinks they have a better way of doing things, and they try to bypass certain standards, best practices that have already been put in place, right? I mean, I know you've seen this over and over again. And sometimes that's what causes a lawsuit. Is is there any flexibility in a contract to say, if you bring us your idea, maybe it is a better way of doing it and we'll look at it and we'll either approve it or deny it. Does that ever happen? Of, of course, absolutely. You know, um, but what I would recommend the franchise yeah. order do is put a system into place. So if someone some of the best ideas come from franchisees because they're on the front line. They're in the field. You know, it's not someone in a corporate office that, you know, is managing, you know, HR and, you know, all these other um, departments. And so um, uh, I would recommend some sort of system. What I've done in the past is this. If you have an incredible idea, Roger, please email us the idea. Okay. Mm -hmm. We will then as a group, okay, sit down and discuss it. Okay. And then discuss it with you. And if we think it's excellent, we're going to roll it out sort of company wide. All right. If it's, you know, um, regional, just to your section, maybe we do it all within your region, you know, and we test it, something to that effect. But if it's a great idea, I want the whole company to share in it, you know, not just yourself. And then, and then, and then, and then bonus you a pro, you know, for the great idea. You know, give you something for your efforts. Absolutely. Because everybody shares it at them. The whole company wins. Absolutely right. So there's got to be a huge marketing piece to this, right? Because one, you may have started with one or two or three units. You decide to franchise it. Maybe you're well-known in your market area, but then a franchisee either was traveling and tried your food and said, wow, this is incredible. And I see an opportunity, you know, three states away and I want to do this thing. And the people in that you know, state, a couple states away, have never heard of this brand. And now you've got to be the brand builder, the marketer to, you know, to create something from nothing, even though it's already been something somewhere else. I mean, obviously you'll help with that too, right? Yeah, no, of course. Absolutely. You know, um, uh, yes. When you start a new market, I try to sort of what I call cluster the stores. So I know you're in Maine. I'm in New York. I would do something like the Northeast, go from, mm. you know, New York to Philly to Boston, you know, somewhere that it's all in a drive area so I could get to it, you know, or my representatives could get to it fairly easy if there's a problem. You know, when you go into uh, new territories, even if someone bought a 20 store deal, you still got to open up with one. And there's a lot of sometimes trouble with managing the freight lines. If you have a lot of proprietary products, you know, now you're putting proprietary products in a single, what I call OPCO, whether it's, you know, from these broadliners, Cisco, U.S. Foods, PFG, whatever they are, yep. but you only have one item in there for your one store. So you got to buy minimums. They got to hold it, you know, all so on and so forth. You know, the, the less proprietary items that your company can have, the better off you'll be in expanding and scaling, you know, when you get into different markets. 
All right, that's a perfect segue into determining, say, the price of a franchise model and the royalties that are charged and what products actually get purchased from the parent company, because these are all additional profit centers for your franchise. And if things are done correctly, then suddenly your buying power, your economies of scale, your leverage, all those things go up and you can literally make money off your potential, off your franchisees by, okay, there's the advertising fee because you now have a standard marketing program, the website, the, the ads, the, you know, the marketing that is proven to work is just one piece. Then there's the royalties that you pay, perhaps off sales of a unit. Um, and then there's the product purchasing. I mean, that must vary from franchise to franchise, but there is a basic core model there that, right, that you start with? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yes. Franchise fees vary. Royalties vary. Um, but the basic core model is you have a royalty. Okay. Typically, yeah. you know, it's around 6%, something around there. Okay. Mm. You have okay. an upfront franchise fee in which you pay. Okay. For all the systems and everything else that we've worked on for all these years, like what POS to use, yeah. what tile to buy, you know, what chairs to buy, all that should be given to you. Um, that, that's why you're buying a franchisee, not sort of to reinvent the wheel. Then there's a local ad fund. Okay. And then there's a brand fund. The local ad fund is, um, is on the franchisee to spend in their local market. And so what I've done in the past is, you know, just getting receipts on a monthly basis from the franchisee, showing that they're doing advertising, the 1% um, that was in our documents, 1% of their sales, their gross sales, um, spending in their area. And then another 1% we had for the brand fund, which we would help build on websites or limited time offers, LTOs, or something that, out, that is company-wide. Uh, maybe some press, hire a PR person that will help with the company um, overall instead of just that local market. So that's pretty much consistently what the formula is, but the percentages change depending on the concept. Okay, so you mentioned the 6% as a sort of baseline um, you know, of the royalty fee. How about pricing the model itself and what the value of that is worth to someone who comes in, the investment for the systems, for the concept, for all that kind of stuff? I mean, how is that determined based on the success of the first model or several models when they exist and then the owner decides, I'm going to franchise this thing and I've had so much success in so many areas and these are my annual sales and that sort of thing? I mean, is that a starting point or is it a whole different formula? Uh, no, not so much. I would just say that, you know, we would come in then if we were hired and value yep. engineer it, Roger. Okay. All right. So here you have, you got two or three stores. Okay. But let's look at your equipment package. Let's look at your flow. Let's look at your whole operation and really streamline it to make it, you know, duplicatable for someone that doesn't have a lot of operating experience that we can train. You know, so we would then take a look at everything, menu mix, product mix, the menu, the psychology of the menu. I mean, everything. We would take apart sort of um, internally the concept and see if there's better ways or better equipment to actually scale the concept. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So let's talk about the standards and how these are enforced. And there, and there must be so many because that movie comes to mind, The Founder. You know, I'm sure a lot of the audience has seen it. You know, the, the classic story of Ray Kroc and McDonald's and, you know, he's going door to door and he's, you know, knocking on doors trying to sell mixers and he's getting really frustrated doing this because, you know, everyone's got a story why I don't need that mixer even though it's a better, you know, sort of thing. That might have been the first system, right? You can make 10 milkshakes at a time instead of one, but nonetheless... Mm -hmm. 
he, he sees this concept for the burgers that's fairly dialed, you know, and like you said, it's not about the burger, it's about the systems. He sees that all that is dialed and he takes it to the next level and he creates arguably the, you know, the biggest, most well-known, you know, most successful company in the industry. And then he starts selling franchises, you know, before any of that happens, he's now selling franchises and people are bringing in chicken and they're trying to do this and they're trying to do that. And their, their cleanliness standards aren't there. Like he visits one of his locations and there's like trash in the parking lot, spilling out of the garbage cans and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there are certain standards that need to be enforced. And obviously you can't be in all places at once. You mentioned, okay, there's a check and balance system on the, the advertising spend, but there's got to be so many other, you know, there's got to be a hundred things that you need to check on all the time to make sure that all the standards are being met because, again, it reflects on the original concept. How Absolutely. does that happen? How, well, how? It's, there's no substitute, Roger. You're an operator than being in yep. the stores. Yep, you, know, exactly. as, you know, as much as we have cameras these days mm-hmm. and everything yeah, else, yeah. there is not. So it's very important that at least at a very minimum, you know, corporate is at that location or with the franchisee once a quarter. You know, I mean, I'm, and I'm pretty adamant about that because, yes, yes. You, know, you, you know, and then you go through the protocol, what I call a QSC, quality service and cleanliness checklist, okay, mm-hmm. and to make sure that they're operating to our standard. And if they, you know, dip yep. below that, then we coach and counsel them to get up to that standard. You know, we all want, you know, clean, you know, great looking restaurants that serve great food with an incredible atmosphere and very hospitable and people wanting to come back. And they, the, the public doesn't know if it's a corporate store or a franchise store. They just see the name on the top. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so it's imperative that corporate gets out there and make sure that the franchisees are upholding the standard that you built your success on in the first original stores. And accountability certainly has to be there. And then a certain expectation for the next visit because they've already been through, you know, maybe they've been held to the carpet on A, B, and C. They might be doing E, F, and G, okay. And now, okay, now we know I'm looking for this the next time and I want to make sure that all the other bases are covered. And this happens once a quarter, you say, roughly? I, I would say minimum, you know, yeah, if you're, if yeah. they're, you know, if they're, if, if like I'm in New York City, if there was franchisee in New York City, I'd probably be there weekly. You know, it depends on, you know, the geography of it and how we could get to it and so on and so forth. You know, so, um, yeah, I would say at least a minimum once a quarter I would recommend. Okay, that, that's awesome. Let's go back to the, the branding and the marketing piece because it's so critical that a franchise is uniform and consistent in terms of the way it looks, in terms of the aesthetic. I mean, there's lots of different locations. It might be a standalone. It might be a lease space in a strip mall. It might be all sorts of things. And somehow the exterior has to shout out that brand. And then you got to walk in and the furniture and the signage and the colors and all that kind of stuff has to be, doesn't it have to be uniform? And Absolutely. Are all those things sourced from different companies that take the template and create the furniture and the signage, or is it one company that now gets sourced to bring in all of those pieces? I, I'm sure there's companies out there that do that, right? Listen, absolutely. You could buy like sort of a one-stop shop, but what I found best is, yeah. you know, as we pick up the hood of the concept as we spoke of before and yeah. go into every go into every aspect of it. You know, let's say chairs. You want the same chair in every as in every restaurant. So you would put it out to bid. You know the type of chair you want. You would get the one vendor, and then when you bring on that franchisee to do the build out of the store, they're contacting that one vendor. So there's no Makes chance sense. for mis- 
There's no chance for a mistake. So I will tell you, okay, you're buying your tile from Dow Tile. This is the color. This is the SKU number. Here's the chair. Here's the piece. Here's this. Here's the broiler. Here's the POS system. Everything then comes in a spec book. All right, which we deliver to you. So there, you know, if you have questions, you could you could look at it. The vendor's name, the SKU number is there. So all you then have to do is order it. And what we do from corporately is once a week we get during the build out phase to the franchisee get on the phone and we have a checklist each week of where you should be as time moves on and it goes from 12 weeks out. Okay, and we talk to you. Okay, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? All right, you still have to do this. We, we can't go on to the next week until you get this done. So we have somebody checking in all the time to making sure you're on point with everything that you need to do. Gotcha. Now, real estate is a critical decision, okay? We've all heard location, location, and whether you're literally buying a space, or you're leasing a space or whatever, I mean, that's another critical piece where someone from your firm literally scouts locations and we do traffic studies and we do ease of pulling into the parking lot and the availability of parking and the visibility from the street of the store and all these things play in. What about the competition in the neighborhood? Is it a good thing because this is a destination where there's lots of you know, similar, not well, other restaurants, QSRs all over the place, or is it better to be, you know, more remote from a lot of restaurants? You know, all these things play in, and the real estate piece is one of the most critical decisions. Absolutely. So we work with, you know, a couple of great firms that give us what we call heat maps, you know, and they they Uh tell us exactly like population and density and um, demographic studies and income levels and everything like that. And each concept is different. You know, if you have a destination concept, like when we had an energy kitchen, people that lived the lifestyle of eating healthy would travel, you know, a little bit, an extra block or two to get to our food. So we were taking spaces off the avenue, off the, you know, on the side street a little bit, you know, just to get the lower rent, you know, because it was a destination spot. You know, it all really depends on the, uh, on the concept you know, and uh, where they initially thrived. You try to replicate their biggest stores in the beginning and see what made them successful and replicate that as we build the brand. I think that makes perfect sense. I love that word replication because again, every aspect of what we're talking about is not about trying to find a better way in the beginning. It's about staying with the tried and true and looking at the trends, the statistics and the proven what's been done before and not deviating from it and just going with the experts because that's going to give someone the best chance for success. Let's talk about a timeline to this and it's got to vary in, in depending on the situation, but let's just say I'm an operator. I got a couple of units. I got a hot idea. We sit down. You say, yep, I think you got something here and yeah, your systems are fairly dialed. What's it going to take before we sit down the next time and before I'm ready to start selling this franchise? Are we talking about a year of time? Are we talking eight months, six months? I mean, what's, is it typical? Is there any typical? Yeah, not really, Roger, because every concept, every owner is in the same place. I mean, yeah. it's in different places. I apologize. Of course. Yeah, um, that's right. You know, they're all in different places. And a lot of it depends on the owner on how much they want to push. You know, how much they really want to grow, get out there. We can have all the systems into place, but then if they get cold feet or, you know, they're hesitant, you know, that might put a little, um, you know, roadblock into the progress of the concept. So um, every situation is different. You know, is if, if they find a new spot, is it, you know, was it an old restaurant? Is it a vanilla box? 
Is it a landmark building where you got to jump through a couple of more hoops, you know, to get it up to par? You know, all different things. You got to change the use, you know, if it was something else prior. You know, so timelines, then they're getting permits and things like that. It depends really what state you're in. If you're building out in Texas, it's a lot easier than maybe New York or some of these other municipalities. Maybe we touched on this earlier, but I'm thinking, is it prudent to sell your first franchise to a a strong potential operator and then give it time to develop and grow before you then sell another one? Do you prove the first one before you open the floodgates to vetting several people that are interested in this? I mean, what's prudent there? Great, great point, Roger. Absolutely. You know, listen, when you're a corporate store and you're running it, you know, yourself, you're running it, you're there. But now you've now brought in a partner, so to speak, in a franchisee. And that's a different sort of element. It's the franchise store. So you want to work out the kinks there before you expand. You only get one chance, Roger, for a first impression. And it's extremely important that you come out of the gate, you know, very strong and very well. You might mess up, but it's the way you react to messing up that is so important. You know, taking care of the guests, making sure that they're okay, no matter what, you know, if the, fo- the, the food was cold or whatever the issue was, you know. But yes, I would wait a little bit of some time to work out the kinks of those franchise models, you know, first before you start expanding. But you can sign some people up, you know, six months out, you know, a year out to lock into their territory. And then they know, and that gives them a little bit more ample time, you know, to prepare. That makes perfect sense. So you also are, are doing an in-depth analysis. Well, we talked about this earlier. You're looking really, really closely at, because you're vetting these potential people. You're looking over personal financial statements and assets and abilities to weather the storm if things don't take off. And you're going to need a certain amount of working capital in your store because undercapitalization is one of the biggest reasons for failure in this business. Absolutely. So people yeah. really need to be rock solid, not on the verge of, you know, I got a dream and I've got the money to start it. And maybe three months of working capital, but after that, I'm tapped out, and that's not a good candidate. That's not a good thing. And listen, if you're bringing in investors, okay, mm-hmm. the worst thing you could do, Roger, is say, okay, your, your um, part of this investment is X, and then three months later saying, I need more money. You know, that is a bad discussion. I'd much rather raise a little bit more money in the beginning even though I don't think I don't need it because coming to you as an investor the second time around and especially such a short period of time, you know, uh, they question your ability to, you know, manage it, so on and so forth to to bring it further. So I would definitely say if you think you need X, raise more money because you could always, Mm -hmm. because you could always use that to marketing, you know, other aspects of the business you know, to help you grow. It's very tough having a conversation with an investor a month or two out saying you blew through X amount first, you know, we're having a capital call. Absolutely true. This has been a really robust discussion and we've covered a wide cross section of this topic, but I'm sure I missed a few things. Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't talked about that, you know, that, that is relevant to franchising or what your company does? Um, you know, listen, I, I think we did an amazing job, Roger. It was an absolute pleasure being here. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Me as you well. know, um, no, I think you handled everything that we do, did with our customers. You know, we enjoyed, they could find us at qsrfranchisedevelopmentgroup.com. My uh, email is anthony at qsrfranchisedevelopmentgroup.com. I just think in the situation that we're in right now with COVID and everything else, you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity and franchising, you know, uh, 
comes through these um, these times um, pretty strong. You know, people have lost jobs and it's extremely down there, but they might be looking to buy themselves a job in, in the future. And franchising is a great way to do that with a proven concept and a model. That's an excellent point. I'm glad you brought that up because people are looking for plan B and options right now. And, you know, if you think you've got what it takes to take your business to the next level, I think it's great. I'm going to put, uh, obviously, your URL and your email into the show notes here. People will be listening to this, and I certainly recommend that they contact you because I can't imagine doing this without your services. Roger, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. It's been my pleasure having you on the show. That was Mr. Anthony Leone from QSRFranchiseDevelopmentGroup.com. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Guys, as always, thanks for listening. What an amazing episode, and what a great opportunity forward. If you've got a hot concept, it's worth talking to Anthony Leone of QSR Franchise Development Group. Maybe now is the time to think about expanding and growing. We've never had more time than during COVID-19 to plan and strategically move our business forward. So once again, I appreciate you listening to that. We also talked all about the importance of systems. So don't forget, we have so many turnkey systems available at restaurantrockstars.com, things that'll help you put your business in the best financial position, the best staff training position, sales position, maximize profits, as well as marketing, and multiple opportunities there. Everything available at restaurantrockstars.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. We just started a new Facebook group called Restaurant Rockstars Official, so please join at Restaurant Rockstars Official, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.